I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Obviously, this is, uh, you know, more of a frustrating... Uh, Way to end it, obviously, but, um, you know, I thought at times in the season, uh, you know, we showed a lot of really good things, a lot of resilience from our group. Um, you know, tonight, obviously, uh, you know, the team ventured out there, and um, like you said, we had some chances. Puck, uh, puck didn't go in the net, and, uh, you know, it's obviously a tough pill to swallow, but... Well, James, it is over. Uh, The 2019-2020 Maple Leaf season is in the books. I guess that doesn't surprise you totally, given the way things went all year? Yeah, and even in the series, I I think I messaged you yesterday before the game saying they're going to lose, right? Like, I... I just you did, and I was like, how, "How? How could you know? What? What could it possibly inform that?" I don't know. It just in some ways, I, I'm serious. Like, yeah, I don't. I actually don't know what you what gave you that inclination. I don't know. It just was like I don't. I that's just how I felt about the Leafs this year, and that it just didn't feel like the year that they were gonna. I mean, I guess they could have pulled it out, but the way that like if I had to predict how that game was gonna go, I would have predicted like a one or a two nothing with an empty netter kind of game, and that was it. And you know, it's really interesting the way that Sheldon Keefe went down swinging, and he's taken a lot of criticism today with, you know, for putting Nylander at center and for going with the big line and for dressing Andreas Janssen. And... But there's no guarantee that if he didn't do that, like, the outcome probably still would have been the same, no? Like, if there were a lot of games and stretches in this series where he gave those other lines a lot of, of room to show what they could do and... And they didn't do anything. So I understand why we did. Well, to to play devil's advocate, because I'm not sure I totally agree. Um, we gave him all kinds of credit um, for being willing to experiment, to be creative, to try different things, to try Mitch Marner with Austin Matthews for an extended period, to try William Nealander with John Tavares. But I do think in that situation it went too far. Um 
in that he was trying things in an elimination game that he had not tried all year. Um, Like Marner, Tavares, Matthews had played together a bit, but not a lot. And there's a ripple effect on the rest of the lineup in that you've got a second line with Nylander, Kapanen, and Hyman that's never played together. You're moving Nylander to center for the first time all season, except for the game previous in an elimination game. And then you've got a third line that also has never spent any time together. So it just felt like it was too much the other way from Mike Babcock, where it was too much, I'm willing to just try all kinds of different stuff. Whereas I, I feel like you do need a little bit of familiarity. And, and granted, like maybe they score on one of those chances that Tavares has and they win the game and it's different. But it felt like it was too much the other way. I don't know if you if that swings your opinion at all. I guess, you know, the thing with the Jonas is that it's almost like they were in desperation mode right when the game started and they didn't necessarily have to be. You know, Keith could have went to those lines once they were down one nothing, or, you know, maybe if you get into the second period and it just looks like what you're using doesn't have it, and then, then you start switching things up. And the thing, too, yeah. is that that all-star game line, that all-star game line wasn't really what saved them yes. in game four. It, like, it, was, it wasn't it was that six good. On, it was six on five, and it was the power play that got all those goals. So, yes, those players were on the ice together, but it was it wasn't quite the same thing. And the problem, I think, against a team like Columbus, uh, especially with Wierenski being able to play, is that they match up really well against one-line teams, and you really turned yourself into a one-line team if you do that. So, I can see the argument for I can see the argument for both sides. Um, but, but I do understand why Keith did it, just because he was. And he explained after the game, he was so concerned that they weren't going to have enough offense. Well, and that's, it, it's very concerning. And he also mentioned that one of the things that led him to it is that that second line um, centered by Tavares just didn't have anything. And, and that's, that's really tough. Like your big advantage in a series like that is that you basically are supposed to have two number one lines. And whoever played with Matthews, like Matthews, almost didn't need anybody around him. Like he was kind of doing everything himself. Um, but the guys around him, the guys that you're paying a lot of money to be impact players weren't really impact players. Like Mitch Marner did not have a good series. Um, that's, if you look at the last two playoffs, James, that's 12 games that he has zero five on five assists. He had no five on five points in the series. William Neander, I didn't think was very impactful. He finished with, you know, fewer shots five on five in the series than Pierre Engvall, one more than Martin Marincin. Uh and, and John Tavares was just okay. And and that's 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 tough in a series like this. Like that that is supposed to be your advantage and it just wasn't an advantage in this series. Do you do you feel like that like can we boil it down to that? Like if your stars aren't gonna be stars and you're paying them half the cap, it's tough to win. Not just that though, Jonas, like how many goals did they get from the third and the fourth line? Like if, if one of your top two lines gets stymied, you need someone Yeah. in the playoffs, you need someone else to step up and you need to get some goals from unlikely sources. And Columbus got that in some of these games and the Leafs never did. They got the one goal in game three from Nick Robertson. That was the only goal they got from a, a depth forward, the whole series. And the only goal they got from a defenseman, the whole series was the weird shorthanded one that Cody CC randomly scored. Like they didn't, they didn't get defense. They didn't get offense from the third and fourth line. They didn't get enough offense from the second line. 
like they it, it wasn't just a matter of Columbus shutting down their stars they shut down everybody other than Austin Matthews yeah. and the and the power and the power play played well but they um, no I don't agree with that you don't think the power play played well I don't think the power play was no I think the power play was excellent obviously in that one overtime but I generally think the power play looked about the same as it did I I guess that's not true that that one game where they had the five opportunities they had some looks around the net um but obviously they didn't score i didn't love their power play it felt a lot like it did as the season rolled along it just kind of felt a little stale um but you're right like you you can win you can win that series if your stars are are shut down like it's it's that old playoff thing where the top two lines cancel out but if your third and fourth line can win you some shifts and, and score you some goals you can win but Kasperi Kapanen, I didn't think he had a very good series. Uh, Kerfoot didn't have a great series. Their fourth line had that one game, but wasn't giving you anything offensively. And that's it against a defensive team like that. You, that's it. Mikheyev didn't do anything. You know. No. Yes, that was a big thing. Yeah, Andreas Janssen looked like a guy who hadn't played in six months for some reason. You know, it's well. So let's stop on that. Do you. you seems surprised by that decision i guess i was surprised too do you think it was too much i mean i don't think he played very well i i don't i don't think he gave them i think the only way it might have made sense is if you put him on the fourth line to play six minutes but you didn't want to break up the fourth line because they had a good game the game before but then they didn't have a good game in this game and i don't know i i didn't i, I didn't see anything from Janssen there that that he gave you anything different I almost would have just went with Robertson and hoped that maybe he could have, you know, maybe you play with Robertson with some, with Nylander or something and he can set him up or I don't know. Like it's, it's so tough. Like it's, it's like Matthew said off the top, it is a game of inches. You know, it is, you know, the Leafs can talk about how their shooting percentage was really low and how they had higher possession and expected goals in a lot of these games and, um, but that was the game that Columbus wanted to play. Like, you know, Columbus doesn't care if they only have 47% of the possession. You know, that's fine with them. As long as as long as long they're opportunistic and they can get a goal or two and they can... I mean, that's... that's And their goalies were great. I mean, their goalies were excellent. You know, they had two young goalies making nothing that had... They both had great series. And that was a big factor, too. You know, but it seems like the Leafs are running into good goalies all the time when they get to the playoffs. Well, and let's sorry, but let's let's be honest. Like their goalie wasn't good enough in the most important moments of the series. He just wasn't. Uh, that second goal to uh, Columbus when they're trying to just get one that kills you. That is just devastating. And you can even look back at the the two games previous uh, when Columbus comes back to one game. He's a little shaky um, in game four. Obviously, the Leafs come back, but even. You know, when Columbus jumps out to a 3 nothing lead, he's a little shaky. He just feels, he doesn't give you that feeling that he is going to, I don't know how to, like, I'm trying to think of a goalie who gives you that feeling, but, like, that he is going to stop everything and give you every possible chance to win the game. He feels like the goalie who's going to give up that goal. And I don't know if that's totally fair to him, but his his performance in, you know, Game 7 last year, Game 7 the year before that, uh and, and obviously in game five against Columbus, I just didn't feel like he was there when they really needed him. Game one was big too, right? Like that one, that one Atkinson goal, 
ended up being so huge yeah. in the series. Like if the Leaf, if the Leafs could have found a way to win that win that first game, even the, even the comeback when the, when the Columbus scored the three quick goals in Game Three and erased the, you know, if if Anderson would have held the door a little bit more for them, you know, I I kind of think Jonas said that's the last game that Anderson plays for this team. I think that the, I think that they'll try something different there. I actually think they should. I've come around to that. Um, you had mentioned that uh, during the pause that that was something that they should do. I am on board with that. I do not think, I don't think you can come back with him for another year and another playoffs and expect a different result. He just hasn't given you that indication that he is that guy that can push you over the top in that situation. Yeah. I want to make a couple more points. Um, you brought up Robertson. I think that the folly of that decision is that the underlying numbers for Robertson were not good. I can't deny that. He looked physically overmatched. He looked a bit lost, like you would expect someone in that situation to look. And yet, as you mentioned, he scored one of their three five-on-five goals. He had some of the better chances of the series. And in a game like that, when it's so, so, so close and you just need one goal, it almost feels like you have to like push past all the underlying stuff and just say, you know what? This guy has a chance of scoring us a goal to win a game. And in a, a series as tight as this one against a team as tight as Columbus, we need that. And we need that guy in there. Well, and and I, I kind of think maybe they just overthought everything a little bit. Well, look at Andreas Janssen's underlying numbers were shitty too, right? So it's not like you... If, if Janssen had, like, was a little bit more ready and hadn't been... Like, he had major knee surgery and missed so much time that... And, he, and the other thing, too, is that Janssen didn't have a very good season. So it's not even like you're getting... It's not like you're getting back... Uh, a hymen or someone like that it's i don't know well and james like unlike the other guys so here's the thing like at some point he was gonna play and so he was gonna be jumping in no matter what but unlike his teammates he had no games like he didn't even have exhibition or he didn't have scrimmages and one of the disadvantages obviously for us and not being able to cover practice we don't know how involved he was in practice so we don't know you know what how how much what they saw in those practices to give them the indication that he was ready um, but it's a big ass to, to have a guy come back in an elimination game having not played in six months after major knee surgery. That That's tough. Um, and then obviously they lose Tyson Berry um, for most of the game. And when you're already without Jake Muzzin, that just kind of limits your options even more when like the other options are CeCe and Marincin and a young guy like Dermot. And basically they're playing tons of Riley and tons of Hall. It really highlighted that they don't have enough on defense, didn't it? Like they like Yeah. I I think like Columbus, if they would have lost Warinsky for that game, they would have been better able to sustain themselves than the Leafs were losing Muzzin. They just like Columbus had I I, I know uh Columbus felt really confident going in that they really liked their top seven, eight, nine defensemen. Like they really liked the guys like Nudivara and Dean Kukin, um some of their even even Scott Harrington who played a little bit. Some of their fringe guys, they they were really high on. You can't say the same thing about the Leafs, you know. They just they they got to go into next year finding a way to be deeper at number six, seven, eight than they were this year. Because look look how many guys look how many times they were missing two or three defensemen and they had to play those people in in significant minutes. And then it happened here in the playoffs. Yeah, it's a really good point. Well, and you're relying on, you know. Travis Dermott, who's still really young, you're real, suddenly you have to use Martin Marincin, who's basically been a scratch for most of the last few years. Um, and, and, you know, it comes back to something we've talked about all year. You know, the Tyson Berry, 
thing didn't work. But like all these, a lot of the issues that that were popping up during the season became issues in this series. You know, the mental wherewithal, whatever you want to call it, that came up. Defensive problems, not defensive problems, but problems on defense. Those came up. Depth scoring came up. Uh, and, and Marner and Tavares didn't have like great years by their standards. And obviously Frederick Anderson didn't either. And it's it's kind of like the way it deserved to go in some ways based on the regular season. Like I know you mentioned Keith and, you know, the shooting percentage and there that's sort of fair, but at some point, like you need actual tangible results and they haven't. Well, had they, that. I mean, they could have won that series, right? Like it was so close. It was so yeah, close sure. that they could have won it, but I think they, they, I think if you're the Leafs, you want to get to a place where it's more decisive when you play a team like Columbus. Like Columbus is not one of the best teams in the NHL. Columbus, no. Columbus is a slightly above average team that's good defensively. And I knew going into the series, I was like, this is going to go five games. This is going to be really hard for the Leafs. They have to get, try and get to the point where, you know, like if Boston was playing Columbus, like they did last year in the second round, Boston's not going to be thinking, you know, it's going to be a much easier matchup for Boston than it is for the Leafs. And and that tells you something about where the Leafs are right now. Yes, that's a series they should win. That was the first time that they should win a series, and they did not win a series. And, I mean, you can just, you if you want, you can boil it down to giving up a 3 nothing lead yeah. in, a, in Game 3. Like, that, that can I think that series. I think that and the goal and Game 1 where they just, they didn't generate enough offensively and they allowed the one goal from Atkinson to be the difference. Those two games are the ones that stand out to me as, you know, you know, if the Leafs could have won game one and game two, or they, they needed more of a killer instinct. Like I think what happened in game three is what we saw a lot during the season where they get up three, nothing early. And then there's something in like the monkey mind of the Leafs where it's like, we got this, this is going to be easy. These guys aren't that good. We're so good. We're the Leafs. And 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 they just gave it away, you know the 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 goal when they're that Dubois gets when they're up three nothing that Dubois gets to make it three one, it looked like the Leafs didn't even care. And that goal ends up mattering. Yeah, I I, I don't know that that's it's it, it's obviously not that they don't care, but it's like a focus that's that's missing. Like I really, um, the quote from Keith about the Blue Jackets I thought was really, um interesting he said they stay absolutely fully committed into what they are yeah and it kind of feels like that's 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 what the Leafs aren't at this point like we don't really know what they are and they don't stay committed to it for more than a game at a time like it, it got a little much that they kept bringing up resilience that they were a resilient team all year I don't think they were a resilient team all year I think of the opposite yeah as we especially discussed. like in game and when they hit some adversity in a game against a bad team it was sometimes they would just be they would be like check please and that was it all right james we are going to take a very quick break we'll come back and talk about the future we'll talk about what's next which i guess is the future (laughs) Um, but first a quick word from indochino all right james um we're going to talk a lot about what's ahead for the lease but we can briefly get into it now where would you be, where would your mind be at if you were Kyle Dubas right now? What would you be thinking? I think that what uh, he's got a lot of time here. The draft and free agency is not for two months. It's not till October 9th. 
Um, the Leafs are probably not going to play a game that means anything until mid-December at the earliest and potentially not till January. Um, I think they're going to have to do a full-scale audit of what they think this team is and why it is the way it is and ways that they could potentially change the mix that they've got. You know, I think there's going to be a lot of focus on how dramatically do we need to change the roster? How can we get them to have more of that killer instinct or focus or whatever you want to call it? Which players are bought in on kind of the identity that we want the team to have and which ones aren't? And um, and then go from there. You know, I think that they're... I think what they, they're going to need to do is identify the players they are absolutely not willing to move and then everybody else they can think about long and hard whether they're willing to move them or not and see what they potentially could get for them I, I think it's going to be a busy off season. I think that there's going to be some surprising things that the Leafs do and um, what exactly those are is that's that process starts now for Kyle Dubas and, and his staff well Let's let's look at a, a couple guys. Um, so I think we can safely say that that CC and Barry are gone, both free agents, right? There's no money. There's no money. There's no like, money. and like, I don't think there's will to bring those guys back. I already no. don't think there should be. Um, I wrote during the pause about Kapanen that I thought the Leafs should hang on to him. I am not as sure about that as I was before. I wasn't even that sure at that point. Um, but when you're talking about focus and commitment and all that stuff, and you, you look at who he is as you know a first-round pick, I feel like maybe this might be the right time to sell. Like maybe this is just what he is. Um, Kerfoot, I, I'm not sure he can be your third center. Um, and, and Anderson, those are the kind of the three big ones that come to mind for me that I would really look at moving. What about you? I kind of think they might go higher than that. So Okay. So who's that? I mean, I think the door's open for anybody except Austin Matthews or John Tavares, who has a no-movement clause. And I think that, um, you know, they, like, they, what I... What I'm trying to say is they haven't decided on what's happening yet. Like, they don't know, right? So it's impossible to predict what's going to happen, but I don't think it's kind of like nobody's safe other than the two centers, you know, and they're going to really think long and hard about, like I said, what worked and what didn't. And, you know, last year they made some pretty wholesale changes in changing the blue line and trading cadre. And I, I, I feel like this year could be even more significant, but we'll get a better idea, you know, on, on Wednesday when, when Dubas and Shanahan and, and people talk and we'll get a sense for, how much they defend the team they have now and how much they talk about staying the course and being patient and all those things that Kyle Dubas has talked about a lot. Um, but I think the, the thing that people need to realize is that we're not saying, I'm not saying this and I don't think the Leafs would, or would do this in response to one close game they lost or one close series that they lost. It was more what happened the entire year that defined the season for the Leafs and that caused concern. And I think you're right. I think that Kapanen and Anderson are probably the most likely candidates to not be back. Um, 
but I think there's a possibility if there's a trade that they like that someone higher in the lineup is is targeted. So, and there's not that many names that are higher in the lineup that aren't Tavares and Matthews. So I probably don't even need to name who they are. Who they are. Well, let's name them. It's Neilander and Marner. And I would say I'm going to write about this. So this is very top of mind for me. I would be very careful. I would be very, very, very careful. Um, but one thing I, I do think they need, and you know, there's been this this idea in, in the market that they need grit and like they're not big enough and all that stuff. I kind of think what they're missing a little bit, uh, and they got rid of it, you know, in, in past years, is they're missing a little bit of competitiveness and a little bit of bite. And you look at some of the players that they've gotten rid of over the years, like Kadri, Connor Brown, uh, even Zaitsev had his flaws competitive Roman Polak competitive Ron Hainsey competitive they're missing a little bit of that like on their third and fourth lines and and on D they kind of need a little bit of that David Savard and Boone Jenner and I don't know like hockey's such a funny thing like you're trying to find like these intangibles to to balance your your team Um, but it just feels like they're a little too I don't want to use the word soft, but they're a little bit too finessey, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I was t- I talked to a bunch of other teams, and I talked to some people around the Leafs last night, late after the game, and you know, one name that came up is someone said they need a Matthew Kachuk, like they need yes, like a they, shit disturber. They need someone who's like, and ideally, it's someone who can play on the wing with Tavares or Matthews, who's just like causing a lot of problems for the other team. Yeah, I, it's interesting you raised Boone Jenner. I thought he had a great series. I mean, I, it's not like he was all over the score sheet, but he was just, he was really hard to play against. He was big. He skated hard. You know, they could really use, like, I know they try, They tried to bring that in in Kyle Clifford, but they need someone higher in the lineup that's like that. And they need someone that has a little bit of skill that's like that. Well, you know, the guys I'm thinking of, like, just over the years, like, Alex Burroughs played that role perfectly yep. for the Sedins. Right. And it feels like they're kind of missing that type of guy. And Hyman, you know, is that to some degree, but there's he's not, he's one guy, and, and you kind of need a little bit more nasty. And I and I, I feel like, and this is something he never said, but, like, you always got this impression that that's kind of what Mike Babcock felt was missing a little bit. He always mentioned size, but but that's why I, I kind of feel like he liked like a Connor Brown because he wasn't nasty, but like there was like a a, a get up and go that was there, um, and they just feel a little bit like too much the other way where it's you know I don't know like just yeah too much finesse feels like the thing. Um, do you have any other thoughts before uh, we wrap? Yeah, I mean you mentioned lottery. Murder. Yeah, well, I mean, we this podcast about that briefly. Well, the podcast might be irrelevant by the time the lottery happens if the Leafs win it. So, so basically, if the Leafs win the lottery, they got a twelve and a half percent chance of getting Alexi Lafreniere. Um, if they don't win the lottery, their pick goes to Carolina, and it's going to be a really good pick. It's going to be thirteen or fourteenth overall, which is pretty well the worst case scenario. Um, Marner. I don't know. This is hard to talk about, Jonas, because we don't know the outcome. Yeah, I mean, if you get someone like Lafreniere, then all of a sudden, you know, Nylander or Marner are more expendable because you've got someone that can replace those minutes who's going to be on a much lower salary. But you were going to say something about Marner. I just wanted to give you a chance to... No. Yeah, I was going to say you mentioned Marner and Nylander as people they could potentially move on from. The list is bigger than that. Like, the list is bigger than that. It's everyone on the decor. Everyone. There's no. There's no one safe. On the blue line. So you're talking about Riley. Um, Dermot, Hall, 
you know, I think that the reimagination that they're the process they're going to go through now is going to be almost total. And I, I'm not saying that they're going to trade everybody and blow it up or anything like that. But I think that if you want to change the mix on your team, you have to be willing to contemplate a lot of different things. And they're going to have to make sure they make the right trades. Like they can't make another Kadri for Barry trade. They have to trade for... It has to be more like... This is not the greatest example in the world, but this is the one that comes to mind. It's more like a... a Ryan Johansson for Seth Jones or uh, uh, when oh. Panarin got traded for Brandon so Brandon Saad. Like, it, like kind of just like really changing the dynamic on your roster kind of a trade. And see, those are good examples of why you need to be very, 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 very careful because Chicago ended up making a bad trade and you could very well argue that so did Nashville. Ryan Johansson is not... He's he's kind of just like a two no, three center. I'm thinking about it on the other side though, Jonas. I'm thinking about it from the the team that did well in the trade. Yeah, so. but the, in 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 this scenario, when you're talking about Neander and Marner, you're giving up that guy in all likelihood. So anyway, that's something we can delve into more. We don't we we uh, we are going to get more into that next week. We're going to do like a big rap show. Um, so we will talk very soon, James. It's been fun. It's been a crazy year, and we'll keep delving into the Leafs because there's lots more to talk about. And thanks again, as always, to people for listening. I mean, I think the podcast really grew in popularity through these playoffs. Um, after every game, I was getting tweets from people saying, where's the podcast? And just for our sanity, we didn't want to record it at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, so we're doing it the next day. So thanks for hanging in and waiting for us. Um, and if, if you have friends or family members that aren't subscribed... Get them to download the app, theathletic.com slash leaf report, 40% off. Uh, we're not going anywhere. We're still going to be, we're going to be doing this every week other than when we have a little bit of vacation time. Well said. Thank you, James. We will talk soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.